right, so this is part two of the conversation I had with David Coghill, the solution engineering lead at Twilio. If you missed part one, doesn't matter. Part two is just as fun. Here you go. So everyone talks about the importance of customer experience. People really appreciate personalization. They don't want to be treated like another number. But in this new world of privacy, mm. this is what got me interested. Cookies are due to be phased out by 2023, I think it said it was. 100%. Now I'm going to ask, can we delay that a little? Because we had COVID for two years. <laughs> so I don't know where we're ready. Hey, that would be nice. That would be nice. Unfortunately, it's already been delayed. Has it, was, it? It was meant to be end of 2022. And, uh, oh, so it has been delayed? Yeah. I was joking. Yeah, I'm so sorry. It's, oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so for those that don't know, third-party cookies are tracking Google Analytics and Facebooks and all these others. They sit in your browser. They serve you up ads as a result. They target you for certain things. They are collecting information on you. They can be responsible for why your computer is so slow. What's going on in this cookie world? Because some people are on this fence of like, and I've done this in the podcast before. Do you accept cookies? I'm like, oh God, they already know so much about me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And how do you get rid of that damn box anyway? No, exactly. If you say no, does it? Does the box go away or does it follow you around? So, so what are they? What are they doing? Why are they being phased out? And why are you guys talking about it? Yeah, it's it's there's so much to talk about with cookies and they're such an exciting topic. And I think, you know, it, it's interesting to look at the history of them, if you don't mind a bit of a digression. Yeah, yeah, go part. for it. I mean, my question was a very long it question. It was a long question, so you get a long answer. Um, Netscape. Everyone ah, remembers Netscape. Yeah, remember. Netscape Navigator. Not everyone remembers Netscape. Well, the older People ones. People are to remember Netscape. Exactly, exactly. 1994, the developers had built this amazing web browser that could, you know, show HTML pages, very basic by our standards. Yeah. But um, they wanted a way of remembering, or not even remembering, of knowing has a person who's visiting my page now been here before? That's all they wanted to know. And now HTTP as a protocol can't natively track that. It just, okay, you want to see the page? Here's the page. So they added this thing called a cookie. And the cookie enabled uh, the web server to remember, oh, yep, I've seen this person before. Therefore, I'll show one version of the page versus another version of the page. No real privacy concerns. Who could be concerned about that? It's, it's nothing. It's so yeah. minor. And so there was no consent, nothing like that. It was just baked into the product. Yeah. Now, the nice thing was that that was Netscape itself saying, oh, you're coming to Netscape. We're going to keep track of you. What they also enabled was for other companies to keep track of you if the website wanted to. And so a great example of this, because they really, you know, are so deeply embedded into our lives is Google. The Google cookie, which is really a third party cookie, it's not the web page itself, is in millions and billions of pages worldwide. And that is just helpfully remembering all of the different things that you've done on millions of different pages. Now, if you think back to the Netscape example, oh, that's great. Fantastic. You can now remember what I've seen. So that can really make my experience better. There's money in these things. So all of a sudden we remember what you've seen. Yes. And we are going to show you ads based on what you've seen on these different places. And so all of a sudden the ads that you could put on the web were so much more personalized because they could track absolutely everything that you've done across any property that had Google as an example embedded in it. And so the return on investment for these ads was absolutely phenomenal. So all of a sudden- As in better click rates, more engagement. Much better click because rates. 
it's serving up microphones to me because I've visited microphone websites. And and you think about that example, yes, you might only click one in 30 of those ads, maybe even one in a hundred. Yeah. But if it was just some random brand that you didn't know anything about, well, you've probably got a one in a million chance of yeah. clicking on that. So as an advertiser, I'd much rather pay for these enhanced ads that are powered by third-party cookies. And all of a sudden, we got to about 2018, 2019, and these ad-serving platforms just had so much data and so much power, and brands were completely dependent on them. So there are tools out there. Uh, they're usually called data management platforms, DMPs. Things like Blue Kai, uh, Salesforce has its own DMP. They track and collect these data, uh, the, these data points, and brands depend on them incredibly thoroughly. So our report said that 78% of brands need third-party data to make their data effective. But at the same time, second half of the 2010s, you have consumers saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. Mm. I don't want random brands just collecting my data without me knowing how it's going to be used. And mm -hmm. especially if it's going to be used to power advertising that I'm, I don't feel that I consented to. And so we started seeing legislation like GDPR yep. in the EU, which has said, look, consumers have control of their data. Very, very important. Um, and we also started seeing movement from companies like Apple, where yeah. Apple said, you know what, we're just not going to permit third party cookies anymore. So if you're using Safari on a Mac or on an iPhone, you're actually already living in this post cookie world. You are not mm. having third party tracking done for you. And advertisers kind of hate it because mm. it makes it really tough to get the right message out to you. So all of a sudden, Google decided, look, you know what? we can't keep this going either. We know that the tide is turning against this kind of technology. And it's really Google that's setting this timetable of saying, look, we know that we need to move away from third-party cookies. Still working out exactly what the replacement is from a broad advertising perspective. But what it really means is that for brands, everything changes. Because all of a sudden, yeah. you don't have a company like Blue Kai, nothing wrong with Blue Kai, great technology, just calling them out as an example who are saying, you know what, for these 100,000 users who came to your website this month, here's everything you might want to know about them. Here's their demographics, here's where they are, here's what they like to purchase, here's the categories they're interested. All of that data just disappears in a non-third-party cookie world, a cookie-less world. So where does that take things? Yeah. That means brands still need data because all this great personalization that we've been talking about, those Woolworths SMSs that you're getting, they're good because they're personalized based on what the brand knows about you. But if you think about what made that data good, it wasn't that, well, you know, there's an 80% chance that we think you're male and there's a 30% chance that you're over 20 and there's a 14% chance that you're based in Melbourne, which is how third-party cookie data tends to work. Yeah. It's the data that they actually know that's impactful. What you've purchased, where you've purchased which pages of the Woolworth site you've had a look at. And that's all data that you can freely collect. That data is being very willingly given by consumers, by you and me. I'm you know, browsing around the website, signing up for things. And what we're seeing is this whole genre of software called CDP, customer data platforms. And that's what's enabling brands to start collecting all of this first party data for themselves. And so now they can use this first party data to drive personalization, which is incredibly accurate because 
the consumers themselves are saying, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm interested in. And it's helping get that dependency off of third-party cookies that are just, you know, they're going away. We can't be dependent on them anymore. And customers don't want them. We see 83% of customers saying, please don't use third-party data about me, uh, which is incredibly challenging when brands are so dependent on it. Mm. And the way Twilio uh, has really responded to this trend is we saw that there were a whole lot of CDPs out there in the market the most successful at the time was one called Segment, uh, and you're very, very similar ethos to Twilio. Developers first. How do we make, uh, you know, put control in the hands of the business that we're talking to and the developers that we're talking to? And so Twilio decided to acquire Segment, and now Segment is part mm. of the Twilio software family, and we're helping brands use Segment to collect that first party data and make better decisions about their customers rather than being reliant on all this third party data that is just going to go away. Oh, okay, I need to dissect this. <laughs> it was a long answer to a long it question. Was, and I was there the whole way for the most part, but others might not fully grasp mm, it. And so I'm going to mm. see if we can dissect this a tiny bit. Absolutely. Um Third party data, as far as I'm aware, will help you. I mean, so yeah, most people aren't happy with it. They get, I mean, for the most part, what it's doing is it's building a profile of you. Correct. And then advertisers will use that to go, hey, we want to advertise to males 40 plus in this particular region that are interested in tech, maybe have been to the site before, we'll reserve them those ads, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Oh, it's, it's, some of it is okay. I think that from that standpoint, I think people are probably worried about things like, hey, why is Facebook tracking the outside of Facebook? Well, and that's exactly it. That's really the extension of it because we got into this world where not only, uh, you know, let, let's take as an example, uh, the vast majority of websites, you don't log in. And yeah. so it's pretty anonymous who you are. Yes, you're male in this demographic, yeah. da, 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 da. But who are you? Uh, don't really know. Yeah. All of a sudden, you start pairing this with websites like Facebook. Wow. Then it really We know you. exactly who you are. Yeah. Plus, we're going to take all of this third-party data and hook it straight onto so your profile. So, they'll build a profile of you. Exactly. Yikes. And the ROI on Facebook ads is extraordinary. Yeah, it's it, you can singularly target people. Correct. Correct. I want to know. I, like, if... You, for those that don't know, I mean, if you want to run an ad, you can quite literally... I mean, they don't encourage this, but you can quite literally go, I want to target only people that live in this area, that went to this school, that used to work at this company, that is married to this person. Like, I could target, you know, Correct. like my sister. And not only that, you can combine that with a list of your own customers yeah. and say, I want to find my customers who meet these criteria yeah. and serve them this exact Yeah, it's ad. too much. But then, so now take me to the first party part because then you're saying customers are willingly sharing that if you bought from Woolworths as an example, I'm assuming, so what, that data exists in Woolworths servers like the Netscape example and then they can personalize based on the fact that they know who you are and you like Tim Tams and English breakfast tea. Therefore, you'll see that more prominently because that's what you've purchased. And it's probably not a bad thing because when you're walking through a supermarket, you don't really want to browse every aisle. I no, don't. Exactly. And that's the hardest thing with e-commerce is like, just give me the order that I normally order and maybe a couple of variables and I'd be happy with that. Is that first party data though if it's becoming a platform with like say twilio through segment or whatever 
are they then in the same third-party data example? Is it being shared across to create profiles of people and therefore still potentially a problem? Or- mm. and, and this is this is where there's that really big difference because yeah. it's really no, no. This is in that example. This is Woolworths data store. It, gotcha. It's, you know, if uh, you know certain brands decide that what they do want to do is go and build data partnerships with other organizations yeah that's still a technological possibility yeah but it's no longer just you know here's a house with all the windows open data for everyone just take what you want it's really coming to be incredibly explicit of here is our data here's what we do with it and we will write very carefully into our terms and conditions and having those cookie pop-ups here's what we do with your data do you agree with it do you consent to it yeah and so companies like or products like segment platforms like segment are really standing in the shoes of the first party so you know segment is not the brand that's got segments beacon installed on the website but in that instance we are collecting the data exclusively for them and holding it in a database exclusively for them and then it's really up to them what they choose to do with it but it is just such a such a different world and and if you think back to those those consumer outcomes it's exactly what you said about Woolworths. You imagine if we all went to Woolworths.com.au and we all got shown exactly the same homepage with yeah. exactly the same products. It would be pretty useless for all of us. Yeah. Whereas, you know, just recently I've got a bit of a fondness for Easter eggs. And Oh my uh, god, you see our fridge. They're so good. You I'm gonna give you left. some before you go. Are you hey. kidding? I've got like a nine and eleven year old. Okay. okay. I, I almost have a whole fridge dedicated to Easter eggs. <laughs> and last night my wife goes are you going to throw that Violet Crumble Easter egg out? And I'm it's like, am I going to what? What yeah. am I going to... A Violet Crumble Easter egg. Firstly, <laughs> it's Violet Crumble and it's an egg. It is not going anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. And all of a sudden... What? So you're buying emails? Easter eggs now after oh, they're Easter? Gone. They're gone. I'm oh. very sad about that. Oh. Uh, they are all gone. But during April, you know, those recommendations, they were pretty on point. And yeah. it was because they're collecting that data and using it in a really intelligent way that makes my experience better. And also, it's probably making me spend more, which is really yeah. it's their objective. Yeah, because when you first set up e-commerce, when, sorry, when you first do your supermarket shop, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Like yeah. setting up all your preferences for getting the sizes and trying to figure out all the things for your regular shop. Mm. Once you've done it, it's really efficient and it's really good. Well, and, and to take that a step further, if you thought about it, you know, if we think about interconnectedness, yeah. if it was just the website storing that data, oh, that's good. It makes the website better. Yeah. But the fact that they're collecting that data also makes the emails that they send you better, the SMSs that they send you about what's happening better. If you've got the app, it makes the app better because mm. it's all about having that data platform that's collecting everything rather than these siloed systems that, that don't really talk to each other. We're so quick to criticize things that don't work Oh, yeah. oh, like I, especially David's. Did you know? <laughs> Did you oh, read this the other day? We are the male Karen. We it's are the tough. male Karens. We argue. Apparently, we go online and complain like almost <laughs> twice as much as anyone. Wow. On okay. behalf of all David's out there, we're disgusted. I, well, I am anyway. I, I I'm going am. online to complain about it. <laughs> I'm going to complain about the other David's. Don't call me David anymore. It's Dave. I am, and I, I'm like. The other day, I did a positive review. I'm starting to do positive reviews. Well, you have think, to. You yeah, have to. We've Even- got to flip this around. We've got a brand problem. <laughs> I like the meta complaint, though. The the complaining about being a complainer. That That's very <laughs> on point. 
But uh, yeah, credit you know, where you it's due. These things. So that as to David's who aren't going to complain, credit where it's due. Like it's a great experience. Oh, And absolutely. the communication is so critical. Hey, I read the other day, it said with Twilio, it listed a couple of companies and it said the really, really good SaaS companies, right? The ones that are like, are the pinnacle. You have to ask this question. And I used to do this for this other company and I'd ask the customers this question. And the question is, if this company didn't exist, mm. what would your job be like and what would the solution be like for whatever it is that you were doing? And I used to ask this question of a company I worked for before called Dynatrace and they'd be like, I wouldn't be able to do my job. We wouldn't be yep. able to do what we do. Yep. And so that's a sign of a company that's like irreplaceable. Mm. I get the impression with Twilio, if you were to turn around to like the Woolworths development team or Domino's development team and said, we're sorry, but we're... Uh, Twilio doesn't exist anymore and none of the solutions and sorry 9 million people you're not having access anymore either <laughs> Counts are gone. that would be pretty damaging and pretty difficult to replace yeah ab- absolutely and I think when we're talking to customers it's really you know we're only talking to them because it's about their business mm-hmm. how do we impact that business and there are a few different layers of metrics but one of the most basic ones is where is your developer time going to achieve this outcome does it take you 20 minutes to get up and running or is that like a four-week project that needs to somehow fit in here and, and you know, resolve all sorts of different dependencies? And that has a massive flow-on effect. That has an effect on how quickly you can go to market, how quickly you can get new products and offerings in the hands of your customers and therefore how profitable you are. Mm-hmm. And you take away Twilio and all of a sudden there's just this backup effect in all of these customers that can achieve so much with the tools it's you know that that old saying about standing on the shoulders of giants it just enables people to get moving so much more quickly and see so much more yeah take it away and it's just so much harder so much harder developer productivity i've heard this a few times now it's absolutely critical isn't it we used to talk about like productivity of your product managers or productivity Mm. of your retail staff or productivity on a production line now it's developer productivity the developers are the new like they're the new the new kings of the organization because they make it happen well and and no one can get enough because the whole paradigm has really shifted around how and where you deploy developers you know it used to really be fantastic we're going to go out and buy some software and that software yeah. is going to solve our business problems and it's going to be our unique differentiator. Now, so sorry, but yeah. the 10 million other companies that that company sold to, uh, you know, trying to solve it in exactly the same way. How do you make the solution unique to your product offerings? Well, the way that you do that is by having a development team that is specifically addressing what the line of business users need to get done. Yeah. If you don't have developers, then you're really just flying blind. You know, you need these people in your organization and they just speed up everything that you can do. And learning from developers. You tell me an example of where, I mean, this is the coolest thing about a community, right? Like if you're developing features that your community is asking for mm. or developing and then you bring that into the product, that's direct feedback that is, you're really listening to the customer. No, absolutely. And that, that example that I gave you earlier about Woolworths, yeah. where the, the uh, delivery uh, staff makes a phone call to a Twilio number, Twilio then handles the logic of who should it pass that call on to while protecting the number. That's a feature we call proxy. Yeah. And we originally had no plans to build any 
feature like that because you could actually cobble it together in the Twilio platform. It's, it's no big problem. Uh, we can use programmable voice, different APIs, pull it all together. Fantastic, it works. It might be you know, a few hours of development. The very first customer we had that built a use case like that years and years ago was Uber because exactly the same mm -hmm. situation. They need to have drivers contacting uh, riders that they're talking to. And so they actually built this themselves and they built it at massive scale because they had thousands and thousands of drivers needing to call thousands and thousands of riders. And if you think for, about that from a technical perspective, you need a big lookup table to make sure which one do you match with who. That table gets really big really quickly. You need to manage area codes, things like that, especially in a company like, pardon me, especially in a country like the US where you know scale is huge. Mm -hmm. And so they end up building something and they had a chat with us about it. And they said, you know, we think this could have legs. And we said, wow, yes, we also think it could have legs. And it wasn't long after that that we actually took the ideas and the, the baseline of what they built and productized it into something that we now call Twilio Proxy. So that if another company wants to do those sorts of things, all of a sudden, it's so much easier than it was before. You know, we'd already it. improved it, but now we've improved it even more based on what our customers want to do. I love hearing stories of where engineering teams, whether it's Uber or it's Netflix or whatever, they, as part of their job, they problem solve something, they develop a solution that's not core to their business and they open source it or they flip it back to whoever and then other teams are able to pick it up, leverage it, build on it. Like that. that's like the ultimate developer like productivity and, and that's why like all these developer events and things are always so inspiring to go and listen and hear from other developers because they're problem solvers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there's another really cool example that I want to talk about, and that is, it's called Ngrok. And now very technical listeners might have heard about it, but it is, how do you take your regular laptop, you know, we've got your MacBook on the on yeah. the table here, and It's not regular, it, that's a MacBook, so it's special, right? Oh, you get well, that, Apple users. Uh, oh, well, you're on an Apple there, so uh, there we go. Also Apple, so we're, yeah. we're, in, we're in good company. Okay. Um, as a web developer you want to expose your web apps to the public internet. You don't want it just to be devices yeah. on the local network because you want to be able to test from like an IoT device or, for example, you want Twilio to be able to call a webhook yeah. on your computer. And now traditionally that would have been really hard because you've got a local web server running on your Mac. It's, it's locked into the local network. Yeah. So part of the Twilio development team thought, hey, you know, let's just pull something together and kind of solve this problem for ourselves. Let's just open this local web server up to the public internet and have a way of registering a domain name so that yeah. it's really um, easy for developers to do. And they built this thing called Ngrok. And Twilio said, hey, this isn't just helpful for us. This is actually a really helpful project that millions of developers worldwide could use. So we just open sourced it. And now anyone can go and use Ngrok and turn your local web server into a public web host that you can use because we just we love developers that much wow that's cool you you are very passionate about the topic hey actually as we sort of wrap i'm gonna throw a couple of questions at you mm. what's the best advice you've ever been given oh oh that's a tough one I'm going to have to pause because I can't remember. <laughs> that's okay. Or yeah, you haven't got it yet. Like the lesson, like what's a lesson that's that's a business leader or a colleague or culturally mm. or a customer or your parents? Yeah. Now, I actually, it's it's super timely 
Um, but my boss just recently asked me to read a book and it was called The Adventures of Johnny Bucko. I don't know if anyone listening has, has heard of this book, but it's a, a little manga written in the US though. And it's about career advice. And Wait. a manga about career you're, advice. You're, your boss gave you a career advice book? Did you not go, wait I a sh- second. I should take the hint. What, yeah. what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> but one of the things that was in this book was about how to make life decisions. And it gave you two different options that it talked about. The first was about how do you make uh, life decisions that are based on where you think eventually this decision will go. Will it kind of, you know, ah. if you do this, do step A, yeah. then you can follow that with B, C, D, E, F, and eventually you'll get to the right place. Yeah. And the other type of decision it talked about was more a foundational decision. How do you make it based on what are your values at the time? Don't worry so much about whether this will take you to step F, just mm. is the next step the right step? And the advice was always take that foundational step. Never take a step because you think eventually it'll lead you to the right place. Because if you take all the right foundational steps, you will get to the right place eventually because every step will be moving you in that right direction. And so super recent advice, but I I really... Is that sort of more like take a gut reaction to something? Like think with your gut, does it feel right? Does this feel right? Yeah, there's a lot of... uh, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And it's not just... It's not just, uh, you know, is is this the calculated correct decision? It's yeah. the, yeah, how does it sit with you? If this really sits well because it's the right next thing for you, that's what you should be doing. Use your heart, don't use your head. Yeah, exactly. Because the change is, is too much. Like you can't map. We couldn't have mapped the last two or three years. Could I, well, I know I remember my high school teacher saying the majority of you will work in industries and in jobs that I haven't even been thought of yet. And I went... Oh. <laughs> you mean what? your teacher didn't foresee podcasts? What, what's, what's going on there? No, no. and But crazy, right? The world yeah. has changed. He obviously didn't expect many people to go on to be teachers. Maybe he didn't want to be out of the job. <laughs> you will go into something that hasn't been existed because we... You know, yeah, you get my no. point. But that's really interesting advice. Hey, where do you think... Now we've said that, mm. I'm going to throw a question at you. Where are we going with technology? I think, and actually I had a a really interesting uh, thought as I was driving this interview today. You know, Mm. I was driving down the Nepean Highway in Melbourne. Anyone who's in Melbourne is very familiar with it. And I thought, hang on, for the entire time that I've been driving, let's call that 25 years, this road hasn't really changed. A lot of the buildings around it have changed. The technology that I'm using has changed. You know, my car was telling me exactly where to go. And I think... What that makes me think is that it's not like all of the devices and the connectivity and everything like that is going to go away and we're going to just replace it with a clean slate every few years and wow, it's going to be amazing and we'll all be in rocket ships and and cars, uh, flying cars. I know, I'm so sorry to break that news. Um, So annoying. But it just means that these kind of incremental steps will just keep coming along and how do we continue to become more and more connected you know in this room we've got what about six computing devices maybe more if we look in people's pockets um and 10 years ago that would have been unthinkable you know you would have maybe one computer maybe a second one maybe a phone and i think the the threshold to what computing is and what connectivity is is just going to keep getting lower and lower and lower yeah to the point where unfortunately i think turning off 
is just going to get more and more difficult. And for me, I mean, that's a big personal difficulty for me. I like to stay yeah. switched on quite a lot. And I think it's going to be get, get more difficult. Do you physically think through turning off? Like, do you, do you mm. like recently have gone, oh, I'm on, particularly as a role of like, you know, someone who's dealing, you're a US company. Mm, mm. So I know what it's like. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's something that I think, uh, you know, personally, I've had to become a lot more conscious of. Mm. And I think it's a skill that everyone's going to have to learn of, you know, even if you go camping, hey, there's a 5G signal and your yeah. tent's connected and, and everything's fine. How do you very deliberately say, no, no. It's it's some David time. Time to step away from the tech. Does Twilio do any mindfulness stuff internally, just out of interest? Massively. And this is one of the things our CEO started uh, just last year because pandemic was raging, yeah. you know, no signs of, of, of easing up. And he actually instituted something that we call a company break. And so oh, three yeah. times a year, without consuming any annual leave or anything like that, we say, you know what? The entire company yeah. is going to be off from work for these few days. Just recently over the Easter long weekend, we had a six day company break oh, where wow. it was the entire company. Please do not think about Twilio. Do not think about work. Yeah. And it works because the whole company is doing it. It's not like, yeah. oh, well, Some you'll get days. a whole. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get a hundred emails when you get back. Nope. Yeah. Got back from it and no new emails. And I think that's, you know, we talked earlier about culture, but it's just so important that culture operates at all levels. And yeah. really, it starts at the top and it gets perpetuated all the way through. But we've really got Jeff Lawson there perpetuating this amazing culture where we are encouraged to look after ourselves. We've covered so many topics that I didn't expect us to cover. So thank you so much, Dave. And for everyone listening, please, if you even have a, the most minor interest in development, head along twilio.com. There's a big sign up link in the corner and have a play. See what you can do. Tell him David sent you and then hit him up on LinkedIn and make him do a demo Ex to you. Exactly. And keep exactly. him up for all hours of the night, all over every weekend, <laughs> even when the company break is on. I'm joking. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast, David. It's been wonderful. Beautiful. Thanks, Dave. Yeah.